So my name, as you heard, is Ralph Spence. I think I met most everybody, but I'm sure there are some visitors here, and I want to welcome you all. Uh, I head up the uh, setup team, which is, consists of about 16, 17 people, so it's a, we are here in our group every week and put everything together for everybody, and that's how, how we do our service. But also, I don't know if you know this, about two years ago I preached. But probably most of you don't know that because most of those people never came back. <laughs> anyway, today's Palm Sunday. So Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Before we do that, let's start out with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this glorious day, Lord. Thank you for your loving grace. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that my words will be your words. We lift up our praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. What we got here. So I named this the Journey to the Cross. And we'll start off with a map. There it is. So to start, Jesus with his disciples had been teaching and healing many near the Sea of Galilee at the very top, and spent a lot of time at Capernaum. When they started down to Jerusalem, they were headed down for Passover, as we've been talking about, the celebration of when God liberated the, the uh, Israelites from Egypt. So rather than go straight down, you see when they got to Ganae, I don't know if I said that correctly, they took a hard left. Well, what happened, Samaria didn't want Jesus coming across their land. And I read in uh, Luke 9, 51, at, this time approached, at, this, at the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus res resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who, sent in, who went into Samar a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked the Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? I thought that was pretty bold. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he, said, then he and his disciples went to another village. But it's also, I'm thinking that it could be because Jesus still didn't want the disciples interacting with the Samaritans yet. If you read in Matthew 10, 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles, or enter in any, any town in, in, in Samaria. So when they arrived just east of Jericho across the uh, Jordan River, it's probably pretty close to the same place where Joshua led the Israelites into the Promised Land. Throughout their journey, they accumulated a large crowd. Crowd. Ah, word of the day. Sorry, my bad. Crowd. <laughs> And they were following him mostly due to the, the uh, miraculous things Jesus had done. So they arrived at Jericho. So if you look at this long trek, I go back and I think back when in 2001, I got to go to Philmont with my oldest son. Philmont is probably the largest scout camp in the world, some 250,000 acres. So anyway, 12 of us got to go on what they called a trek. Nine days in full backpacks with everything that we needed from food, tent, toilet paper, 
clothes, toothbrushes, everything. On average, these weighed between 45 and 60 pounds, depending on the size of the person that was carrying them. We covered some 75 miles in nine days. Some days we covered 8 to 12, pretty much on level terrain. And other days, like, we'd only go three miles because we went from 3,000 feet to 12,000 feet. So the last day we were heading back to base camp, we thought, man, this is going to be easy. We're going downhill. But we, but we were very wrong because we ended up going three to four miles over three-inch and six-inch rocks. Now, we had special hiking boots, special socks designed for hiking. We had trained for months to do this. But my feet were about to explode. And where I'm going with this, Jesus and his disciples and the crowd traveled some 100 miles to go to Jerusalem. We don't really know how long it took them to get there, but man, these guys were tough. It just shows you that their commitment to go to Jerusalem for Passover, nothing was going to stop them. And they did it in sandals. I, I can't even imagine that. So anyway, back to Jericho. It was famous for the wall that surrounded it. If you know the story, or if you don't, go to Joshua 6 and read it. But basically, the, uh, the wall was impregnable. And the, uh, the Israelites, for seven days, they marched around and around and around, shouting and sounding their trumpets. On the last day, they all stopped, shouted, sounded the trumpets, and the walls fell. I may, may not be completely accurate with that story, but I think they had a little help from God. Anyway, it brings us back to uh, them coming into Jerusalem. So we read in Matthew 20, 29 through 30, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting on the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Large, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted at even louder, Large, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they, were, they received their sight and they followed him. So they wanted their sight. So we've got to assume these guys have been blind for some time. Could have been from birth. Could have been from sickness. Could have been from an injury. They've probably been blind for a pretty good while and hadn't seen anybody's face. But can you imagine after Jesus heals them, the first face they see is the Savior, the Son of God. What a great sight that had to be. I figured even if they went blind the next day, they probably didn't care because they had seen salvation face to face. They also cried out, Son of David. Very interesting. Two guys, these two guys called Jesus, Son of David. This is a reference to the Messiah, Jesse Stump, David's lineage. We read in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. 
The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So how did they know this? How did they know that this was the Messiah? I figured being blind, they were probably weren't associated with that much, probably pretty much left alone. But if you know in the past, anytime God wanted anything to be announced, he used people. And I have no doubt that he used these guys to witness to his son coming as the Messiah. One thing more about these two blind guys, it's kind of a personal note for me. It makes me think of the people that are homeless that hang around the traffic lights in the, in the intersections. I know I might be speaking for myself, but I often try not to make eye contact as they afraid they might approach my truck window. Oh, sometimes I give them money, you know, change or a dollar, but I just want to be able to get through the light without having to deal with them. What a sad thing. The very people God put in our path to help, I choose to ignore them or avoid them. Jesus did not ignore them. In fact, in fact, he had great compassion for them. He would stop whatever he was doing and speak to them. He would cure them. He would make them speak again. He'd make them walk. But most of all, he gave them hope. Are we above these people sitting on the roadside, roadside asking for help? Or are we as lowly as them in life, in need of a Savior? Through our sins, we are all lowly and in great need of his compassion, as well as his healing. Thanks be to God for sending Jesus as this very Savior, that he took time to reach out his hand and save even a lowly person like you and me. So the next section, they actually lit, entering Jerusalem, the king of kings. So in Matthew 21, starting at verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and you will at once find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, Say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what the, was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a fold of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed him. them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed the cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So as they approached Jerusalem, they came to Mount of Olives. Found it interesting that the same place Jesus chose to enter Jerusalem in one week, that's where he would be arrested. Jesus sends two of his disciples in the village and told them that we would find a donkey and a colt tied there. He said to bring them to him. And if anyone asks what they're doing, the Lord needs them. Well, I, my mind went to that someone came in, these guys came into my driveway, hot-wired my truck, and started driving off. And I'm like, wait a minute. I would be pretty upset. In fact, if they said that the Lord needed it, I would probably say, I don't know if I'd let it go. But thank God that the Holy Spirit works, works strongly. And these guys probably never even had a question. And if it was happening to me, I'd probably go in the house and get my keys. So then they returned with a donkey in their coat. They put their cloaks on the coat and put Jesus up on top of him. 
Well, think about it. This is a small colt. It's, it's the fold of a donkey. Well, Jesus wasn't a little guy. His feet were probably hanging, dragging the, the road as he went into Jerusalem. So as they came in, in Matthew 21, 8 through 9, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches, palms, from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead, up, went ahead of them and those who, that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In Luke, we read, Luke 19, 37 through 39, when he came near the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I'll tell you, if they kept quiet, these very stones would cry out. So Jesus was announcing his entry into Jerusalem. He was not holding back anymore. For the past several months, whenever he healed somebody, he told them, say, look, don't go tell anybody, just go home. Of course, what did they do? They showed everybody. And I'm sure I would have done the same. But now he wanted them to know he was coming. The great crowd had formed to see the, see the king coming. They shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. I always thought Hosanna meant to praise. But actually, it means save us. Save us now. So the son of David, the Messiah. But there were some that didn't even know who Jesus was. Which is amazing. In verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And it was amazing that the crowds that followed Jesus all the way on the trek pretty much knew him as the Messiah. But when they got to Jerusalem, there was a lot of people that thought he was just a prophet. Well, prophet's good, but it's the Messiah. So I guess it could be that there were many people there that came from far, far out Jews that came that don't live in that area that maybe didn't know who Jesus was. But I also think that the past history of Jesus, he always told them, I mean, he wasn't ready for everybody to know. So not everybody heard the word. It wasn't his time, but now it is. So Jesus arrives on a lowly donkey's colt. They expected a king. The crowds were probably confused by what Jesus was doing. They expected a king to rule and drive out the Romans, setting up David's throne once and for all. He should be riding a large white stallion in king's robes. Yet Jesus was on a colt. Instead of a king to rule, he was a servant to serve. The Israelites wanted a temporary fix. Jesus was offering a permanent fix. Jesus came in riding in full knowledge that he would be rejected and the same crowds that were hailing him as king and crying Hosanna, in about five days, the same crowd would be crying, crucify him. So what do we take from all this? Jesus from the start said we need to love God with all our heart, love our neighbors with us ourselves, and to serve others like he did. He was the perfect example to the perfect life. But from his birth, he was destined for the cross. In Matthew, three times he tells his disciples 
that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and be condemned to death. Whether or not the disciples believed that this was going to happen, happen, they never really grasped until the night Jesus was arrested. Jesus came to suffer and die for all our sins. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was betrayed by his own disciples, and then finally he was separated from God the Father. I do not think we really understand what Jesus went through. Excuse me. He went through what could be viewed as the final judgment we would be having to go through if it wasn't for his sacrifice on the cross. At this judgment, to be separated from God means to be cast in the pit with Satan and all those who choose to follow the world and not Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross says that we, the lowest form of sinners, can stand before God completely forgiven. We did nothing on our own for this. It was by the grace of God, a precious gift. So then, what do we do? What is Jesus doing now? In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, he writes, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what do we do? We, we take up our cross. We follow Christ. Even though we are forgiven, we are going to suffer too. Be it from oppression, sickness, poverty. We can go on and on and list what we have to deal with. But because we are followers of Christ, we need only trust God. The work is done. We no longer need to fear suffering or even death. We are the children of God. Knowing all this, we too are called to be servants and that we witness for Jesus to all who will listen, to bring them to the foot of the cross, to show them the true king and life everlasting. We can pray for one another. We can care for one another. But most of all, we need to love each other just as Jesus loves us. I remember back, back last year, Seth had a sermon that he talked about the number of people in this area, in the, in the greater Houston area in the Northeast. He said there were some 750,000 people up here. He also said about 36% of those people either attended church or attended church or, or not very much. So that leaves almost 500,000 people that really, need to, that really do not know Jesus. That's their Savior. I also read an article that said that uh, the younger generation did not grow up in a Christian home or attend church. They do not know who Jesus is and frankly think that he was some made-up person in a fiction novel called the Bible. They live by the worldview. So here is our mission area. We only need to step out our door. Just as Jesus states in the Great Commission, he is with us until the end of age. We need not fear. But through Jesus' journey to the cross, 
we can see our own salvation. Not by our own strength and power, by trusting in the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to walk to the cross, to take all our sins on his shoulders, to allow us to stand and be face-to-face with God, completely innocent. Thank you for all your amazing grace. We thank you daily for all the, the, the blessings you bestow upon us. And Lord, most of all, thank you for sending Jesus and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.